0: Um, I, I, my research is um, mainly around how people engage with the web for learning whether that be students or staff okay? so the, 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 the complexity of this talk is that I'm going to talk about my practice and then I'm going to talk about the actual substance of my research because they're both relevant okay? but overall I'm not a classic academic um, despite the jacket because it doesn't have the elbow pads mm-hmm. that's the difference and also, unlike I don't know how many of you came to Marcus Desoto's sort of opening talk for Engage. Unlike Marcus, I'm not famous. Okay, I'm not on the television or on the radio. So I'm going to tell you about how I engage with the web uh, to talk about my research and for my practice, but from the perspective of somebody who's who's not, you know, just just a nobody. Okay. So I hope that it's quite it's quite it'd be quite useful for you guys in that sense. In that I'm I'm not walking in here and saying, well, of course I've got half a million Twitter followers, so when I tweet something, the whole world listens, because that's not the case. All right? This is much more from the ground up, much more realistic, if you like. So... Uh, unfortunately, you, uh, your introduction said that part of what Engage was doing <laughs> was talking about how social media was weighty and not frivolous. And I'm going to start by showing how frivolous social media is, okay? But we will move on to the weightiest stuff. So, what I thought would be, uh, what I think is an, an interesting starting point is, is to sort of consider, and you could stop me at any point during this talk and ask a question. I will finish at the end, but well, there will be plenty of time for questions at the end, but if you want to stop me at any point point, ask a question or refute something or shout or say something really lovely, that's absolutely fine because that works quite well with this kind of, with this kind of material. Okay? So it's, it's useful to consider what social media actually is, okay? because we're, we're sort of coming into it and we've got, uh, you know, we're bringing kind of professional practice to an area that isn't professional. I mean, social media wasn't, gen- wasn't created with, with the idea of being professional in mind. And it's interesting to consider what social media does that other things don't do. So this is a little anecdote to begin with, which I think is a very good example of something that would be very difficult to do or wouldn't have existed without social media. And generally speaking, when you're looking at extending your practice into a new area, it is useful to consider, well, what does this technology or what does this, this mode of working do that other things don't do? Because often, um, it's relatively, the newness is relatively small, but in this case I think you'll see what I mean. So I was at home and I made this boat for my kids, which you can see is a folded up bit of card with a balloon and a, and a straw, and you blow up the balloon and you put it in the bath and it, and it, and it goes around. It's very entertaining if you have an 11 year old and a, an 8 year old, okay? And because I'm kind of personally resident in, in Twitter, so my Twitter pro- profile, Dave O'White, White, is as much about me as a person as it is about my research, and I'll sort of discuss what the, what the overlaps are there. I thought, well, I'll take a photograph of it. It was on the afternoon, I was a bit bored, and just send it up there, okay? Because I knew that there would be other people who might want to look at it. And then I got this response um, from a guy who I've never met face-to-face, is the design open source, showed my kids in the bathroom, now required to make one. So if you have kids, or you know what children are like, then you know what that means. So I got back to him with a facetious answer, which was, you know, it's pretty obvious what it is, just get on with it. And... Um, then he came back with his picture. I don't think his is as good as mine, because he hasn't got a straw in it. But he then came back with this. And then I tweeted him and said, oh, how did it go? And he came back with this. Made two runs, then the Hull lost integrity. We're going to need a bigger boat, okay, and a little winking, smiley face. So to me, that, that kind of exchange, it involves pictures. It involves, you know, it's playful. It's kind of creative. It's definitely about the people that are involved. And it also involves possibly, I'd say... Uh, a reference to Star Trek, apologies, and certainly Jaws as well. So it's kind of wrapping in, you know, popular, you know you've got popular cultural ref- references, it's witty, it's not necessarily hilarious, but it's witty. Um, and there are a number of things that I think are, import- are important about that. Is One, it is conversational, okay? So there was this exchange backwards and forwards between them. I mean, I started off by just throwing something out there, but then we immediately got into a conversation... I think the other thing that's really um, important about it is that we both know that there's an audience, OK? So we, it is a, it's a performance. He's got however many hundreds of people following him, I've got a couple of thousand people following me, OK? So how many people are going to actually look at it or care, we don't know. But we do know that we're performing in front of other people. And one of the significant things about social media is that idea of audience. Is it, 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 is, it is a kind of performative thing as well as being intimate as well, okay, so theoretically that's the sort of conversation that we should have had on our own, but in actual fact we both know that we've got an audience, right, so I think that that's a good example of something that would be very specific to social media and frivolous, so it's experiential, Um, this picture of me, it knows, Um, is that you can't you can't really get a sense of what social media is and how it works unless you actually get stuck in and start using it, okay? So uh, I know that the guys here at IT Services have been putting on workshops on how to use Twitter and and, and all the rest of it, and obviously that's very useful, but if I told you the buttons that you need to press... Hands up how many people are in Twitter? Let me get a sense of that. Yeah, okay, so it's a mixed audience. That's that's good. Um, If I gave you an instruction manual for Twitter that says here's how you create a profile here's how you write a twitter message it's 140 characters long here's how you reply that wouldn't actually tell you anything about the substance of what goes on in there okay because social media is experiential you need to be in there and you need to be you need to be part of that conversation okay and i don't mean that in a terrible kind of pr way i mean that in that conversation rather than broadcast way and it was interesting what Marcus was saying at the first session, because he said one of the reasons he likes Twitter is because the paradigm is um, that you have followers, not friends, which means that he can legitimately ignore people in that space if he doesn't think they've said something interesting, and that's fine. And one of the reasons for that is that I think that we, you, you do have a series of spaces. It's really useful to think of, of, of social media and these kind of modes of engagement. There's different spaces and different... Places this this uh, this I like um, because it talks about um, phatic communication rather than emphatic, presumably, and the value of of communication, which is completely banal. Okay, so we spend our whole time. Well, we don't spend our whole time. of our communication is just establishing who we are and the fact that there are other people around us and making connections between them. It's not full of enormous substance, okay? Sometimes when you're at the University of Oxford, you get tricked into this idea that the only things you ever say are really deep and meaningful and important. But in actual fact, that idea of just saying things for the sake of saying them is is part of what social media is about and quite important. And I think that what this this highlights... um, I mean, I'm a member of just about all of these, but I only really um, tweet... um, is how these different spaces have a kind of, they do have a slightly different vocabulary, a slightly different dialect is, is the kind of word that I use. And one of the, 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 the social media platforms that are successful, uh, they've usually got, well, they've got a number of things in common, but two key ones are, one, you can lurk, okay? So the great thing is if you're trying to get into this area, you can sign up and just lurk and follow people and see how they talk to each other and get a sense of what's going on. Uh, before you have to sort of visibly engage so you can sort of take the edge off that the first time you post okay so lurking's really important um, I prefer to call it social listening you, can, <laughs> I, you know uh, the, word, the, the word I use the word lurk very casually and I don't mean it to, to be um, to sound bad I, I just mean non-visible engagement let's call it that okay um and you can tune into the kind of language of these spaces, OK? So I'm eating a donut. I like donuts. This is where I eat donuts. It's actually not. Um, it's actually quite accurate there. Um, but thinking of social media as a series of spaces is, is, is quite useful and having a slightly different language in each of them. OK. So first of all, I'm going to talk about how I think this, this sort of area relates to research. And then I'm going to think about how it relates to teaching. How many people would say that they were only doing research? Yeah, you see, th- 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 how many people are teaching? And what what the rest of you doing? <laughs> <laughs> now, I know there's a whole range, and it's... They, I mean, this is a point, this is one of the reasons why, you know, I, I as I said, I exist in that sort of grey area that's somewhere between classic academia and running a service, and I think, to be honest, there's an awful lot of people in this institution that are not specifically one thing or another. And we sort of imagine that the university has got very closely defined roles, but I don't think it's true. So in terms of research, I'm going to tell you a story. Now, this is very indulgent for me, but Kate did ask me to do it, so it's her fault. Is that I'm actually going to talk about the kind of narrative of an idea that I had. Okay, So you can see how I used different kind of platforms and modes of engagement to kind of put an idea out there into the world via the web. Now, I'm not saying that this is the correct way to do it, and also I didn't particularly, do, this is me looking back, this is with the power of hindsight, I didn't particularly do this in a, particularly, in a, in a very strategic way, but I just thought it would be interesting to sort of tell you the, the, the story of it, the genesis of an idea. So the idea is the visitor residence idea, which I will talk about what that idea actually is in a minute, but it came about because I was sat at my computer one day and I had the idea, and I jotted it down on a piece of paper, okay? so more often than not my ideas start on a piece of paper and I don't think that, that, I i have no shame to say that I'd use a piece of paper and I've, I actually generally speaking I find scrolling on a piece of paper is, 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 the, is still the most creative piece of technology f- for me personally and I wrote a blog post, now I'd started blogging as I say this is the non-famous person's reflection on the advantages of engaging in these kind of technologies so the reason I started blogging was because I'd found myself, and this was a number of years ago, going having certain ideas or ideas for research projects or what have you and then going to a conference six months later and hearing the keynote speaker telling me that idea back to me not because he'd stolen it from me but because it had come out of the zeitgeist and I thought if I'd just written that down maybe I'd be doing the keynote talk instead of him so I thought I owed it to myself to actually start capturing my ideas but in a way that other people could see and I didn't really mind whether they looked or not but it was kind of a personal discipline thing And I blogged some data on social media. That was my first blog post and my second one. And then I went to a conference in Oxford that was run by OECS two weeks later and the keynote speaker said, oh, here's some data that I found off Dave White's blog. I think it's really interesting. I think Dave White's in the room. Do you want to put your hand up, Dave? And I felt really good about myself, okay. So the thing went round loop very, very quickly and I found that very rewarding because I think when you start with this kind of mode of communicating, it's easy to forget that it, that, it might, that people might respond. <laughs> and it does happen all the time. It's you put something out there and somebody responds. And the response is incredibly re- rewarding, especially if you're working on research and you're just at your desk, you know, trying to analyze data and all the rest of it. It's really great to get that response back and it can happen very quickly. So I found that very rewarding. So with the visitor residence idea, I wrote a blog post about it, but I posted the blog post in August and nobody said anything because everybody was on holiday. So I thought, oh, well, that's that then. And then uh, in the September, this is about three or four years ago, I tweeted the fact that I'd written a blog post and said, hey, nobody said anything. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and the reason I started in Twitter was, um, and this is, un- as I say, unashamedly just my, my personal experience, is that... I went to a conference, and, I, and this was six years ago, so there weren't very many tweet, people tweeting. I went to a conference, and I realized that all the people that were in Twitter were the same people that I'd be happy to go to the pub with. Okay, it was that simple. So I thought, well, why not stay connected to them online? And for me, Twitter has be, been a great way of being part of a kind of network of researchers who are interested in the same thing as me, because there aren't that many people in the university that are actually interested in the same things as me directly, so I need to be part of that. And I'm sure you have that experience as well. So that's why I got into Twitter. I tweeted it, and it got picked up by a guy who then wrote a blog post on it, and then it got picked up by somebody else, and then lots of people started writing blog posts responding to my original blog post. So the point being that if I hadn't tweeted about it, that blog post would still be a dusty blog post somewhere, in on the tall blog. Okay. Then because, then because I knew people were interested in the idea, that encouraged me to write a conference presentation, and I spent far too long making a Prezi that zoomed around all over the place, and. um, and I gave a conference presentation and it was, you know, it was a parallel session in a conference and it was just a little short paper thing. And the room was was, was full, but there weren't, weren't that many people there, but the response was good. So then I thought, well, I'll make a video of myself, this is where it gets a bit egocentric, I'm, I made a video of myself giving the talk, okay, so, which ended up looking like this. Now, this is interesting. So that's the original blog post. Um, and then I made this <laughs> I made this video of myself waving my arms around. Um, you can shave no, 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 it's fine. No? So there's me with my very inadvisable haircut of a couple of years ago. Oh, good, no, it's fine because it doesn't really matter what I'm saying. Uh, it, the, no, the it's not showing on the screen. Oh, it's not showing. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get to see the, inadvis- the inadvisable haircut in a second. So... Uh, let me see if I could, there it is, there's the inadvisable haircut, it's fine straight on, but when I turn sideways you'll see it's very close cropped and a little bit scary, but I think I'll just pause it there, so so I, basically that was me video, and I put that out there as well, okay, and, and and then, and I will get to the end of this story, this was over a period of about two years, then the uh, what would he be called, kind of co-president or or, or deputy director of a massive library, worldwide libraries organisation asked one of his senior researchers to contact me to say that he'd seen the tweet and the blog and the video and he wanted her to talk to me to put together a funding proposal to go to a funding body to put in like a, a US-UK funding project and we got funded and so for the last couple of years I've actually been, you know, a large part of my job has been a qualitative research project looking at how people engage with the web, based around the visitor and residence idea. So th- th- there was this kind, of, there's this kind of non-traditional narrative of how that I, that went from me scrawling on a piece of paper through these different ways of engaging, and eventually to funding. And how if I hadn't done all these things, then I, I, you know, if I hadn't done these things in roughly in that order, certainly if I hadn't tweeted the blog post, then that might just have, have vanished, and I would have had. Still had a job, but maybe a less interesting job, and that's what I'd say about this: is that um, none of this is going to, none of this is necessarily going to be fantastic for my career. You know, nobody's going to offer me a, a hugely well-paid job off the back of this, but it has made my work much more interesting. If you see what I mean, I, I've been able to focus on my own, on my own research interests in a very particular way. Because the metrics, it's not like the ref, the metrics aren't really attached to, I'm not writing lots and lots of papers, I mean eventually we did write a paper and we put it into an open access journal and you can see it's very, very open access, just sat there on a web page. And that, over a course of a year, that's got 10,000 downloads, which, you know, by Marcus De Soto's standards is not that big a number, but by my standards it's huge. The video's been watched almost 9,000 times and this is just me having an idea and sort of using the, the, the things that I've got at my desk to, to get on and, put, and sort of put that idea out into the world. So, I, you know, personally I find that very rewarding. One of the things you've got to try and avoid is, is, is chasing down the numbers and Twitter can get pretty depressing if you just like, I'm going to do everything I can to get more followers and you forget to have conversations with people, then it gets fairly dull fairly quickly. Um, so, that's that's the overall narrative of one particular idea and, and as I say, I did that from a position of not being well known by any standards on any basis, if you see what I mean. Just using what I had in front of me. And I whiled away an hour of, uh, of an afternoon last week um, searching for my idea, which was really great, because I had an excuse cause I, cause, uh, because of the, not that I ever Google myself, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suddenly realized that obviously if you search for something in English it will give you the English results. Well I tried to find an image because I knew that somebody had been talking about the idea in Mexico and so I searched for it in Spanish and there was loads of stuff in Spanish and then I searched for it in Swedish and German and Dutch and again these are blog posts and PowerPoints. They're not necessarily really highfalutin journals but it 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 just shows that people are talking about it and they're interested in it and to me that was very encouraging and motivating to see that taking place and also to discover that there is this whole world of languages that aren't English. Um, now, if we come back to um, the sector and jobs and careers, because and, we're talking about open practice, we're talking about social media, we've got to be honest about you know, <coughs> what, what does this mean for, for your actual day job and earning money and all the rest of it. One of the interesting things is, is, is that the ref is starting to talk about impact and uh, impact is within but also and significantly beyond the academic community okay? now how you measure that is, is is a difficult business and I know that a lot of universities right now are actually employing people to write impact case studies so it's going to be a kind of a bit of a dodgy area for a while but nevertheless you could argue well if the ref is starting to go in that direction then perhaps it's, perhaps there is a value in me putting uh, a, ju- a paper into an open access journal that gets 10,000 downloads instead of 100, even if that journal isn't massively rated, perhaps, that, perhaps the culture is shifting slightly and there is some value in, in, that, in, in, in the manner in which I've gone about things. Maybe, maybe not. You'd have to make your own mind up on that. Um, and the REF uh, impact exercise also talks about reach and significance. So we can, talk, we, we, can, we can think about reach, that's fairly straightforward. You can talk about numbers. The web's great for reach. Significance is much harder to gauge. Okay. Um, so I can, I can say, have a look at all these people who put my idea into a Spanish PowerPoint, but I've got no idea what the actual impact of that is in terms of significance. Now, Melissa is actually going to be giving a talk in late, late November as part of the Engage series, so I'm not going to talk about this in detail, but um, she put her papers into her, her institution's open access repo- repository and then tweeted the fact that she would put her pap- tweeted the papers and said, here's a link to a paper, you can get to it, it's, uh, it's, it's now in our open access repository. She's got about 3,000 followers on Twitter, which is certainly not insignificant, especially for somebody who's not on the telly, not famous elsewhere. Um, and basically what this shows is that she, you know, a lot of people downloaded it, and I think within a couple of tweets, it was the second most downloaded paper in the repository. Now, again, there are two ways of looking at this. You can look at it from the kind of impact. What does this mean officially? What do I tell my boss? But you can also think about it from the point of view, I put a lot of work into this, and it's nice for me to know that people are actually reading it, and that's certainly my, my perspective. I mean, who doesn't want their stuff to be engaged with? And this certainly works, okay, but Sheila built up that those three thousand followers not by just you know if if all she did was tweet links to her research papers, she wouldn't have three thousand followers. clearly she's engaging in conversations and retweeting other people's stuff and being part of that community and other forms of engagement we we uh we um recently well sort of handed over this project to the master department. we did this out at all, and Marcus mentioned this public engagement again is, a, is an interesting area and that's starting to grow up in, in, in the um, university sector and in this university as well and we had a very successful twitter feed on this which is run by Sarah, who sat there uh, who I would describe as she wasn't in the room as, as al- almost terrifyingly perky so, uh, <laughs> so what that means is that um, Sarah is very sociable which means that she had a lot of conversations with people on twitter partly because it was more interesting than what you were supposed to be doing. Yeah. yeah. But but part of your job for two years was to was to tweet, wasn't it? And and we ended up with about two thousand people following that pro- following that project on Twitter, and again in this very conversational way. So I mean, I don't really necessarily understand what the relationship is between you know making sure that your research or your work is read more widely, and what public engagement mean and means, and what access means, and what widening participation means. All these things seem to flow into each other. All I can say is that. Universities, with the way that the sector's changing, universities are increasingly interested in these areas and they're becoming increasingly valid. I'm involved in the Oxford Sparks group who are trying to do a similar thing um, out of uh, the sciences as well and they make these little two-minute videos but they also put blogs around them and they also put um, material that school curriculum can use as well. So it's increasingly becoming part of what the the responsibility of the universities kind of evidence it's it, it value to society in perhaps a broader way than traditional academia and so so the what am i trying to say the ways that i've been working over the last five years are beginning to become more officially recognized but it's still quite tenuous so teaching is everybody okay how are we doing that's good so um Uh, this is I'm going to actually talk about the sort of substance of my research rather than uh, rather than the story of it um because it because it's relevant to uh, to what we're talking about here so I think one of the interesting things that is going on at the moment is the web is basically ubiquitous, and google whether Google is on this computer or on a student's computer at home or your computer at home it's all google do you see what i mean so it's it the, if if you like the, the it it starts to erode the boundaries, the traditional boundaries between spaces and roles, okay? So, uh, you all know that you can probably get on with your job just as much uh, on a laptop at home as you can in the office, and might question why you have to come into the office so often given that's the case. Um, What we're finding in this project where we've been interviewing students all the way through from late stage secondary school all the way up to staff or or faculty, because it's it's US-UK, is that you know, learners are <coughs> developing their own methods of engaging with the web for learning, and they're developing their own ways of uh, their own processes and their own systems, which are quite often outside of the institution. So the institution doesn't even know what they're up to, because because you don't have to come into the institution to get hold of knowledge or other people who know stuff. Okay, so I call these learner-owned literacies now. They're normally not that sophisticated. This would be a classic one, OK? So that's uh, a UK um, school student, and we, we get this all the time. So you say, OK, how do you, you know, you've got the web. It's a fantastic resource. How do you go about using it to learn? And they go, I don't know, Google, is that the right answer? So there might be a problem with my research method there. Um, so I'm not necessarily saying that these things are particularly sophisticated, but there's a whole world of learning that's taking place out there on the web, OK? of which the institution is only part of. And this is where I come to the sort of substance of the visitor resident idea, and I'm going to mention this not just because uh, it's my research and so I'm going to talk about it, but I think it's quite useful to consider your own practice relative to this sort of overall idea, because it's a pretty straightforward idea. So this is a continuum rather than two boxes. (laughs) And these are modes of engagement or kind of behavior. So I'm not saying that some people are visitors and some people are residents. And I'm not saying that visitors are better or worse than residents, okay? It's just thinking about the way that we engage with technology. Um, So if you're in visitor mode, then you tend to see the web as like an untidy toolbox, okay? So you work out what you want to do. You open the toolbox up. You rummage around for the tool that you need. You do what you want to do. And then you close the toolbox lid, and you go away again. Okay? So you don't really leave any trace of your own identity or persona online. You're just using it functionally. That's what we spend most of our time doing on the web. So if you Google for something, and you find a useful source, and you read it, and you, and you make some notes, or you copy and paste it somewhere else, and then shut down the browser, that would be a visitor mode of engagement. This is a classic, traditional mode of engagement. Okay? Whereas at the other end of the continuum, resident mode of engagement is where you are literally living out aspects of your life online. And this is what comes along with things like social media. Right? Now, that used to be the preserve of the, of the geeks in the nicest possible way. But now it's, it's, it's become, you know, the web is more of a lifestyle thing. And so everybody has the opportunity to do this. So a resident um, is likely to have a profile on a social networking site. And that you're, if you're in a resident mode of behavior, then you're likely to see the web as somewhere where you go because there are other people there. Okay? So you're more likely to think of the web as a series of spaces where there are other people. So it's about the idea of presence or co-presence. Um, and you're, you, might go, you might be goal oriented, you might not. What you might do if you're in a resident mode is say, I'm just going to go online and see what's happening. Right? Whereas if you're in a visitor mode, you've got, you've got, you're going to be more um, goal oriented, You're going to do something specific. And the thing about the resident mode is that it's about, it's about projecting your persona into, the, into an online space. So it's about you, it's about your opinions, it's about who you're connected to. And it's about doing that sometimes in a fairly visible way. Okay, so um, just to, here's some key words that are to do with, this came from that crazy prezi that zoomed in <laughs> and out. Okay, here's some key words that are to do with visitor. So people who are predominantly in a visitor mode are, are, are concerned with privacy. They're interested in individual. Interestingly, I think, and I think that this is true, and this is where it sort of leaks over to kind of educational theory, People in a visitor mode are more likely to be seeking out a traditional idea of expertise, okay? So they like the idea of the author. And it was only three, four days ago that I realized that the word authority has the word author in it, okay? Which you know was right under my nose all the time. So um, to authoritative. So that's the kind of visitor mode. Whereas if you're in a more of a resident mode, then you're gonna be seeing the web as a space. It's like to be more social, it's it's quite likely to be communal, but that is different from being collaborative, okay? I think sometimes we mix those things up. It's very difficult to collaborate in the physical world. It's extremely difficult. to It's just difficult to collaborate, okay? It's a tricky thing to get right. But being communal and that idea of co-presence and ambient presence and I'm in here with other people is something that I think a resident mode is, is interested in. And also this idea of a work in progress, which again I think is very important when we think about you know, um, social media and our, our, our own practice, okay? So, for example, if I blog something, I tend to not blog an entirely finished idea. My expectation of blogging is that somebody will comment back and say, actually, Dave, I think it would make more sense if you said X, Y, and Z. So I'm using blogging not to say, hey, well, i finished this, have a look at it. I'm actually trying to be part of a conversation and trying to that sort of discursive flow and saying, this is as far as I've got with this idea. I don't know, what do you think? Okay, which is a very different attitude from, say, a traditional publishing approach to things. So is this a work in progress? And um, if you think about something about like Wikipedia and how that's constructed, this is very much this kind of flow. You know, Things can change, different people can contribute. Whereas if, if you th- from a wis- uh, visitor point of view, you're probably more interested in the idea of a fixed piece of knowledge. You know, it's, it, it's something that isn't going to change on me it's, it's something I can rely on it's not moving around all the time okay um, and also I think the important thing about resident mode is, this, is, is, you, is you feel like, you're likely to feel like you have something to contribute or you have a legitimate voice so it's, it's it, part of the point of being in a resident mode is that you're going to say something and people are going to respond to it so you're not just consuming information I hope this is making sense so this is a quote from one of our participants on our, in our subject, and uh, she or he—it's a she—it doesn't really make a difference—is um, is obviously an academic, and this is typically sort of extreme resident practice, okay? And. I think what's what's interesting here is something that we, we're we calling decompartmentalisation, which has got too many syllables in it and looks like you've typoed it even when you've spelled it correctly, so it's not a great word. But decompartmentalisation, what you can see here is that she's she basically saying, I'll be wandering around the web, and if I find something that just happens to be relevant to urban design, I'll post it into the group where the students are. Do you see what I mean? So she's just... she, she she's. Going online and seeing what's out there, it's not, specific, it's not very goal oriented But what's happening is that the traditional compartments of our life are starting to merge together. And I think when you start using social media or you make your practice more visible or open on the web, then these compartments start to break down. And so um, she doesn't have the kind of, my students are over here and I'm over here and this is my personal life and this is my professional life. They're starting to blend together. And that is something that you have to consider you know, if, if I'm going to go in this direction, am I, am I prepared to have these things perhaps, perhaps the edges to blur a little bit? Because there's a question as to whether you can be an effective nine-to-five resident. Now, I think you can, but it requires a lot of discipline. And I find myself having a stupid chat with somebody on tw- in Twitter on Sunday afternoon, and then somebody s- suddenly... Post a link about a blog post, and I find myself reading that and going, no, it's supposed to be the weekend. Do you see what I mean? And so you could argue that it's quite incipient, actually, the way that that happens. It's, it's a form of decompartmentalization, and I think that it, there's a kind of inevitability about it, but it is possible to be resident and still keep those boundaries, but it's something that's worth considering. Now, this is a, a complicated diagram, which I'll go through very quickly. So, this is, this is fictional... <laughs> But if we imagine, these are at the different educational stages, so going up through, so from late stage school all the way up to, to scholars, which is an American term, but there it is. And uh, this this is a personal context and becoming increasingly professional. And this is sort of resident forms of practice. And what you can see is that somebody who's perhaps 17 now at school, maybe they start in Facebook because they want to keep up with their friends. okay? And then when they move to university, they find that they're friending people that are part of their... Course, but not necessarily friends. You see what I mean? So their so their their resident online practice becomes a little bit, just a little bit more about them as a learner rather than them as an individual. And then <coughs> perhaps what happens around about the second or third year of their undergraduate degree is some one of the students starts up a Facebook group. They might have done it earlier. That's a, a course-based Facebook group that that none of the academics involved have actually started. It's just the students have started up and they join that and they find that when they go onto Facebook some of the time they're just talking to their old mates from back home, and some of the time they're actually talking about their course, and it's it's quite indistinct. And then uh, as they go up through, perhaps they decide to start tweeting about their research or start blogging, and at this point, I mean this is a really crucial point, when they're blogging, obviously they're blogging as themselves, but they're doing it in a kind of semi-professional context, so you can see how this, what used to be just my own messing about in social media, is gradually becoming more and more part of what I do professionally and then perhaps, if let's, let's assume that they go on to do research um, they start posting their videos onto YouTube and iTunes U and they are in open access journals, it doesn't really matter what order, things happen beyond here if you like. So what you can see is that generally speaking people at the moment are converting a sort of personal social media practice into a professional one because it's quite difficult to keep them separate. Now, what I think what's intriguing for, for for you guys and and for where we are is what happens if you're here and you want to start in social media professionally, but you've got no personal practice in social media. And I think that that's quite a tricky thing to handle. You know, can you can you just appear in social media with a professional hat on? I think you probably can in something like Twitter. It depends on the space. I think it'd be harder in something like Facebook, which is sort of what Marcus was saying, where you're supposed to be friends. Um, so. I won't go on to that. I was going to, um, I think part of my abstract, if you like, said, do, do you, what do your students think about friending you in Facebook and Twitter? Okay. And my point would be that it's useful to think of these online spaces as, as a third space, which is a very social science concept. OK, by that I mean um, they're not home and they're not work. They're kind of a third space. So that would be like a club or a society, or the best metaphor, the pub. Okay. Now, I think, so, and if you think about somewhere like the pub, then it's got a relatively flat authority hierarchy. So whether you're the lord of the manor or the gardener, wh- when you're at the bar, you're kind, of on, you're kind of on more of a social level. So the key thing, in my opinion, in terms of, of, of whether you can join groups that your students are part of or, or make friends with your students in social media spaces, is, is whether you're... Um, ..is... Whether you're in that space as yourself first and as your professional role second, at least to begin with. I think the, the worst practice that I ever see in social media, and quite often it's institutions that do this for institutional accounts, but sometimes it's individuals, is basically the equivalent of jumping into the pub and going, here's why I'm important, here's my research, see ya, and then slamming the door and running away again. Okay? That w- it's like the social equivalent. Whereas I think what you have to do is you have to establish relationships, establish the fact that you're actually a real human being in these spaces before you earn the right to talk about your work. Uh, I I suppose you could say it would be like going to a dinner party and saying, hello, my my name's Dave, I've never seen you before, let me tell you about my research. Do do you see what I mean? You just wouldn't do that. So my answer to the what do students think about you friending them in social media spaces is, is kind of around that. If you're a person and you're engaged in the conversation, then, that, then you're probably more likely to be accepted if you just dive in and start saying, I'm really important, by accident, because authority doesn't, trans, doesn't copy and paste from out of the physical world into social media, not, not fame and celebrity does, but authority doesn't necessarily. And you have got a lot of authority if you work for this university or any university. Very quickly, because I want to leave some time for questions because nobody's talking to me and I'm assuming it's going really well, is uh, this is part of our codebook? So we interviewed people across the, different edu- across the spectrum of education, as I say. And this is the agency section of our code book. And the greener and the bigger the box, the more people talked about that particular thing. Okay. So what I think is interesting here is that convenience is, is always top. Okay convenience trumps reliability and authority and all of these things. Most, most people say, so why, why did you use the web? And they went, oh, it's, just, it's just there, isn't it? Okay. And it's no accident that the British Library have just um, published a report that about um, PhD researchers saying that the amount of sec- primary re- uh, resources that they've been citing has dropped off dramatically recently. It's because they're not on the web. You've actually got to drag yourself to a library to find primary resources quite a lot. So you can see convenience is really important, searching obviously, we know this is what we spend most of our time doing. But quite high up is connection and sharing with others and collaboration. Okay. So across the board, the, the reason that people go to the web is primarily, I'm going to search engine and find something and read it and learn about it or use it, but coming up you know, very close behind it is actually, the reason I go to the web is to find a person to ask them a question if you see what I mean, or the reason I go to a web is because I want to work with somebody on something. So it's definitely the case that these things are, you know, are fairly balanced these days, because that wouldn't have been the case 10, 15 years ago. And I think that's what things like social media, that's the, that's what they've, the, the um, influence that they've had. So here's somebody who's an MA student, and this is a classic example of how they've got to a point whereby they're starting to combine the personal and the... And, and them almost as a professional, because there's a Facebook group about their course, but they don't just use it to complain about assignments. Oh no, they also um, they also share readings, but they also share just stuff that they think's interesting. And I think that what happens is throughout your educational career from school onwards is is your identity as a, as, a, as a, a, an individual, but you, and your identity as a learner or as a professional start to converge. So if somebody says, "Who are you, Dave?" I'd say, well, one of my answers would be I, I do this sort of work at the University of Oxford, if you see what I mean. And that's reflected in the way that they're engaging with the web. Okay, so that's where we can see that decompartmentalisation taking place. And at that point, you can really start engaging with the students. But the only reason that they can do that is because they feel like they've got a legitimate voice within their discipline. Okay, so until they've become expert to a certain extent, they, they're not going to want to share stuff because they won't necessarily feel like they found the right stuff to share. Do you see what I mean? It's a bit of a chicken and egg there. So, you're, you're week one or week zero of the first year of uni- at university, you're unlikely to do this because you, you, you don't really know what the good stuff is and you don't really know who your peers are. I'm quickly going to talk about the flip side. I've just got about a couple of minutes, okay, and that leaves a little bit of time to talk. So, this is um, again. Um, uh, member of staff, faculty member from the UK and this is the, the, the flip side of it and I think this is a legitimate concern okay. now what interests me about this is this idea of it's not easy to wipe off what you've said okay. so their concern is actually about the permanence of the web, the permanence and the visibility of that record so obviously when you are in the pub, you can say what you like and tomorrow's everybody's forgotten it that doesn't necessarily really work, but do you know what I mean there's a kind of ephemeral transience to it Whereas if you put post something in Twitter, it's got a unique URL. It's, it's there hypothetically forever. Nobody's, whether anybody looks at it or not is a whole different business, but obviously this is a reasonable fear. And I think that that's something that you've just got to try and come to terms with and decide where you stand on it. Now, on the other hand, and this is a school-level student, one of the th- reasons that people are suspicious of the web is because it's transient, okay? So the reason, one of the reasons that people are suspicious of Wikipedia is because it might change and anybody can change it, okay? So people, depending on their perspective, people's, uh, un- if people are uncomfortable with the web, it's sometimes because it's permanent and it's sometimes because it's transient, which is sort of intriguing. This is, one, this is the saddest quote that we've got, if you look at it closely. <laughs> and this is typical of a kind of school's attitude is um, I go to Wikipedia but not for learning, I go there to read stuff because it's interesting. So just imagine what the implication of that is. Hopefully that changes over the course of their education. Um, But the reason that they're told it's unreliable by school, despite the fact that it's not unreliable, is because of that concept of transience. Whereas a a printed book isn't transient and so you can trust it. I mean there are other reasons as well but I think it's interesting. if, If you're thinking of getting into this sort of social media open practice you need to decide where you stand on this kind of permanence or transience. So bad things that have happened to me. Right, okay. Not, nothing particularly bad, I'm sorry to have to tell you. Um, occasionally I get sort of niggled because I've, I'm, I'm showboating. All right? So I wrote a post that was, that was kind of just a little bit keynote-y, if you know what I mean. It, well, it didn't have very much substance, but it had a really good couple of memes in it. And this guy here was basically, saying, was basically saying, Dave, you only posted that because you're trying to get, you know, you want to get invited to talk in places that are silent. He might not have been wrong. Okay? I think one of the reasons why people aren't particularly critical of me uh, is because I'm actually part of the community, so I actually, I actually don't jump into the pub and start shouting and go away again. And so they let things slide. So I think if, you, if you're worried about the risks of criticism, then actually engaging with a community of people and being one of the people who's who's there talking about it, other people's research, retweeting other people's stuff, you know, just being part of that discourse means that you're less likely to be critiqued harshly. Now, again, the other reason might be because I'm not part of a traditional academic discipline. I'm kind of in this sort of emergent area. Um, other things that I I, I help run <laughs> this this. Um, uh, Sort of one-day conference, and the guy who was there uh, posted that. This guy had come all the way over from Canada to give a keynote, uh, and, um, and and anyway, you can see what he's Same saying there. So again, it's just people trying to take me down a peg because they think that actually, be, look, Dave, if you've spread yourself all over the web, just stand back a little bit. Um, the worst thing, the wo- actually, it's not really bad, but this is this is, this is. Um, there was, a, there was a brief period of time where people started trying to take pictures of me looking shocked at conferences, and I don't know why, and this is the net result, which I think is sort of fair. It's actually quite uncanny. Somebody posted that, and that's not so bad. But the the, the truth of the matter is, and it's going to be difficult for me to have any kind of uh, traction in this room now, you've seen that, <laughs> I'm going to stand by it while I talk now, yeah, if if you're going to stick your head above the parapet, if you like, if you're going to make your stuff more visible, then you have to take the rough with the smooth. From my perspective, that's kind of part of what makes it interesting. I, 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 I kind of blog with the expectation that somebody could come back and say, actually, that's nonsense. And then I'll say, oh, well, that's interesting. Let's talk about why it's nonsense, if you see what I mean. I don't feel the need to be right all the time. And I think, again, it comes back to that idea of being part of a flow of discourse rather than making sure you're right before you show anybody your stuff. And, you know, that's a bit of a, bit of a, of, of a different pr- approach culturally than, than, than what we're used to, perhaps. So just to finish up, uh, we've still got 10 minutes left. Wow. Okay, things to consider. Am I already well known? Okay, so if you're Marcus Desotoy, to you'll get 23,000 followers because you're on the telly. All right so if you're reasonably well known in your field and you enter sort of social media or you make your practice more open you'll find a lot of people out there that are like oh great that guy's here now let's start talking to him okay so I can recommend that if you're already well known if you're not then it takes longer to build these things up um do you believe that success criteria is changing you know it that ref impact why, why, why are you interested in doing it I, originally I was interested in doing it because I wanted to make sure my job was interesting for me right? And, um, but as I said and this is why um, I was careful right at the start there uh, somebody tweeted everybody thinks you've got a PhD Dave and I was like yes that's nice in social media but it doesn't work well on my CV writing everybody thinks I've got a PhD doesn't help me and so I'm not saying that the traditional ways of furthering yourself aren't still ultra-valid, okay? I'm saying that this is a new, different form of practice. And, it's quite, and And I'm also not saying necessarily that you have to do all of the traditional stuff and this. I think what I'm saying is that you, is that you have to decide which bits of what you already do you want to make visible, because otherwise you give yourself too much work to do. Um, what do I consider to be credible practice, Okay. So if you think that Twitter is just full of egomaniacs that are all showboating in front of an audience or literally making boats in front of an audience you probably won't last long in there. Okay. You have to you have to at least believe it's credible at some level or, or another. Because of Twitter I I've I've, got, I've I've been invited to talk at different places I've got I've got involved in different um, uh, research projects, I got invited to um, uh, have a look around Radio 4, uh, sent, you know, um, I can't remember it was Broadcasting House, totally randomly, so I facetiously tweeted, when is at BBC Radio 4 going to invite me to present um, Front Row, okay, <laughs> Which I, and then the guy who runs the BBC Radio 4 Twitter stream said, uh, well I can't do that, but do you want to have a look round." and so you know, th- th- it has opened up certain things for me. Uh, but none of them pay me any more money. Um, what do I believe about production? I think this is absolutely crucial, especially for this institution. Yeah. You know, do I believe that the way that Wikipedia is constructed is valid or invalid or somewhere in between? Do I believe, you know, in public engagement, or do I actually think that we're all the experts and that we should, you know, just talk to each other in journals that are peer-reviewed because that's how we keep the thing, you know, solid and 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 good quality? And I'm not saying that that isn't how you do that. But I think you have to, you have to question that, okay? Because if your idea about knowledge is only tied to people who happen to draw a salary from a university, then you won't get on well with this. Um, and am I prepared to decompartmentalise? Or am I prepared to be very careful with the way that I manage things so that so that, that decompartmentalisation doesn't happen? Am I going to not look at Twitter between the hours of half 5pm and 9am? Or am I going to see that people have act replied something? So uh, uh, if you can I think asking you those questions and then you'll know where you stand and then and, and, and whether you want to sort of get involved in this way of working I'm going to stop there cuz I've taken too much time thank you Thank you very much thank you.